Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Everybody tried to hand us the Lombardi Trophy in, in August. You, know, you just don't throw guys out there with names. You got to practice. You got to learn to get in sync with each other. Uh, that, that takes time. Poor execution early and get behind and, and uh, you know, players got to do a better job. We got to make the plays that are there. We have so many good weapons. It's hard to try to take away one guy when we can go to the other guys. And so uh, this week it was Tyrese week. This kid runs miles. He's like a midfielder in soccer. I mean, he's running all over the place. I'm always looking to get better. You know, a lot of people, you know, may text me. A lot of people may, you know, give me the glory, give me the shine. But I'm not about that. I'm, I'm ready to get back to Kansas City and get a cold one this next week. Game of the day, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Kansas City Chiefs. Looked like it was going to be a blowout. Then it wasn't. Went down to the wire. Bucks lose at home. Six days apart by the same score, 27 24. It's Pro Football Talk Live. The Monday after Thanksgiving, the day that everyone says they're going to watch their caloric intake and really? increase their exercise. No. It's too late do. now. Yeah, it's too usually, late. Yeah, you, you, usually it's just ride it all the way through until the first of the year and then turn over a new leaf then. Either way, exactly. it's that weird Monday when reality returns just for a while. Holiday season is upon us. We're in a pandemic. Everything sucks, but... Other than that, we still had a day of football. And, you know, Chris, first of all, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? You're, you're, looking, you're looking well today. Thank you. Um, you don't look tired at all. I feel very tired for some You look tired. Like I've been run over you by a truck. Tired. Thank you. Uh, Thank just you. wanted to let you very know. Nice it's been a while since we very broke nice that out. You, you look a little tired today. Sorry. I just had to tell Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I want to go back to the first little snippet that we played yeah. where Bruce Arian says everyone was handing us the Lombardi in August. He said something similar to that to Tracy Wolfson of CBS. I caught her report during the game yesterday. Hey, hey, Bruce, that's an argument you make in August. You you wrapped your arms and legs around that back in August. Nobody from the Buccaneers was saying, whoa, hey, whoa, don't be handing us the Lombardi now. We haven't proven anything yet. They loved that then because they thought that's where they were heading. People believed it, and they didn't do anything to pull the bar down, just like the Browns of 2019. The bar's high, fine with us. Yeah, right. Now that they're not making it over the bar, well, well, the bar was too high. Don't tell me that in late November, Bruce. You tell me that in August when people are putting the bar that high. Well, I hey, uh, you know, it's it's after a game frustration. It's a little bit probably frustration. I said it before the game too. I he know. said it before the game yeah. too. This is his new. This it's is his new, new thing. Mantra. Well, oh, you gave us the Lombardi back in August. Well, you kept your mouth shut about it back in August, and we know that Bruce Arians isn't bashful about opening his mouth. So he should have said then. We're getting ahead of ourselves. They believed it back then. They don't believe it now. That's the difference. Well, yeah, they're feeling the pressure. That's what I was going to say. You know, that yeah, you lose yesterday and that pressure, and then you're feeling the pressure of being in seven and five, right, with all that talent they have on the football team and Tom Brady and all the talk. So I'm sure there's a little uneasiness down there, as you could see. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Expectation levels are high. It still seems they're like a, a team that's kind of just – 
you know, a work in progress again. It was another one of those offensive showings where you were just like, okay, there was some really bad, there was some really good, and there was some in between. Um, but yeah, they they didn't expect to be sitting here seven and five right now towards the bottom of the NFC, you know, playoff picture, and and you know, of course, going into a bye week, having to fight here the last four games of the year. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Seven and five, they get a late bye. They are out of it for all practical purposes in the NFC South. The question is, can they hold on to the five, the six, or the seven and get to the playoffs? And it looks like they should be able to, but who knows at this point? Who knows what's going to happen over the course of the next two weeks? One of the things that Bruce Arian said yesterday on the way out the door for the bye week, we got to be careful with the virus because once you set guys out into the community for a few days – they may come back positive, and you may have a problem at a time when the numbers are off the charts, and nobody really seems to notice. Nobody really seems to care. Bruce Arians notices, and he cares because it may affect his ability to field a football team yeah. in two weeks when they take on the Vikings, who may be six and six if they beat the Jaguars. Will be six and six, and then and you're in position going to catch right. catch the Buccaneers in the playoff chase. So that next game which looked like a gimme. It looked like a check the box. No it looked way. like a no big deal. That's got the potential to be a, a, a mid-December playoff game. It, it, it definitely does. They they put them in a little bit of a tough spot here as far as where they were to where they are now. I mean, losing three out of the last four football games and uh, not playing up to the level we saw, saw maybe, you know, when they were blowing out the Raiders and Green Bay Packers and everybody like that. But, you know, uh, Atlanta, the way they're playing, to have to play them twice down the stretch – you know, Matt Ryan, Raheem Morris, they're not going to go down easily in that one. You know, so there are some, you know, intriguing matchups here. But, yeah, that Minnesota Vikings one, whoa. Vikings win, like you said. Now they're both 7-6. and six. If the Vikings could upset Tampa and pull that off, uh, we wouldn't expect that. So it's going to be interesting. But the Bucks not playing good football right now. And they deserve to be right in that little, you know, spot they are. We saw yesterday just a tale of two teams. And you just don't know what you're going to get out of them right now depending on which half, which quarter, or, or whatever part of the game it is. The good news for the Buccaneers, when they return to action, the Vikings do not have Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill. The bad news for the Buccaneers, the Chiefs did, and they made repeated use Whoa. of that combination. My goodness, Mahomes and Tyreek, three touchdowns. It could have been worse. Over 200 receiving yards in the first quarter for Tyreek Hill. He finished with 269. I mean, we were looking up the all-time single-game record. Flipper Anderson, 336. We thought that was in jeopardy yesterday, and it was for a while. It just petered out. And that's the thing about the Chiefs. We talked about this last night, Chris. They flipped the switch on. They flipped the switch off. And you don't have to have it on for very long to win a game. But my God. If they could just keep it going for all four quarters, yeah. they could score 100 points. Oh, there's no doubt. There was yards and points left all over that field last night. I mean, as, as impressive as a game as it was for Patrick Mahomes, 37 of 49, 462, it, it should have been like 43 of 54 for 500. He, he could have broke the record last night is what I'm trying to say. He had a chance to break the all-time passing record. But to your, your point, they went through a just they fell asleep and you know th- that to me is the frustrating thing about the Chiefs to what you're saying I mean a, a little bit we see this all the time these explosions and then these dull moments and last night I mean flirting with danger once again there you know in a 425 game and and to me like I get all these texts during the game like you know from friends who are ex-football buddies damn oh, the Chiefs defense can they close a game out it, it's not on the Chiefs defense to close the game out there's $9 zillion on the offense of the Chiefs. They're supposed to close games out. It's their job. When you got your foot on their throat and it's 27-10 and McCole Hardman's wide open going down the middle of the field, you know, that it, that's the point where you go, all right, yeah, our defense isn't great, but our offense is so great that we're just going to put our defense in a spot here where they can't even mess it up and you can't make a game of it. And it is frustrating, but damn, I don't know. They always answer the bell when they need to, right? Oh, okay, we need a few first downs and we haven't done anything? No problem. We'll get a few first downs. Game will be over. Uh, but I want to see that maximum potential like you're talking about. Yeah, and and look, that did give the opening to the Buccaneers. And to their credit, they they did what they had to do to try to make a game of it. It all just kind of felt like it was in slow motion. Yeah. Everyone was sleepwalking, especially the Chiefs after that point. And to your point, Patrick Holmes really could have ended up with the single game record. Do you know who holds the single game record? 
Do you know? Oh, um, hold on. I want to say it's Norm Van Brocklin at like 561. 554, Norm Van Brocklin, okay. September 28, 1951. And and here's what's also impressive. The uh the 500 club. Yeah. Uh, Mahomes isn't in that. Right. There's a there's a guy. There's a guy here, Sims. Yeah, Big Phil. Phil Sims. Big Phil had one. Phil in the Sims in the 500 club. Through, yeah, uh, 513. 513 in 1985. Yeah, I know. There's some some big numbers there. But, uh, yeah, I think he had two weeks in a row where he went for like 430 and 514 back-to-back weeks. But, yes, I mean, to your point, I mean, we were both watching the game together. There was just a, there was a lot of plays where you just go oh 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 my gosh off his fingertips oh that's oh my unbelievable he really did he had a chance to break that record last night uh, but they kind of lost their concentration as they always do and then just regained it when they needed to as always and come through in the end of the football game. One of the reasons why the numbers were so astronomical early for Tyreek Hill. The Buccaneers made the rare, and there's a reason why it's rare, decision <laughs> yeah. to cover Tyree Kill one-on-one. Here's Bruce Arians after the game talking about that failed strategy. Yeah, but he had a man-to-man. You know, we tried to get a safety to him if we could. You know, you got Kelsey on the other side, too. So it's a lot of weapons. But uh, when we did play man-to-man, uh, Patrick found him, and they made some really good plays. Oh, yes, they did. And, and and look, that's the challenge for any offense that has a weapon like Tyreek Hill. Anytime you see him man-to-man, you got to get the ball to him. And and Arians is right. If you put too much emphasis on Tyreek Hill, you're, you're letting Travis Kelsey beat you, and yeah. that may be one of the reasons. Now, skill and ability is one of the reasons as well, but if if they're always sliding the coverage over to Hill, it's going to open things up for Travis Kelsey. So you pick your poison. And and look, that's that's the reality. The, 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 you know that the Chiefs are going to score their points. And at the end of the day, the fact they only had 27, I mean, if you tell the Bucks going into the game you're going to hold yeah. the Chiefs to 27, they say, we'll take that. No. Let's just go try to score 30. No, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, and hey, it was there to be had. The, the Buccaneers, they move the ball consistently. You know, the second half. We saw the two turnovers from Brady, right, when he got a little pressure in his face. Both interceptions, but on both of those drives, they were moving the ball there too. You know, and, and you know, as far as playing man-to-man in that conversation with Tyree Kill, I, there's only – I've really only seen one human on earth that can really do that, and that was Jalen Ramsey. He's the only guy I've seen that can go toe-to-toe with them and Tyree Kill just won't absolutely go off. He might get four catches for 65 yards, but he won't do what you saw there last night. That is ridiculous. You know, the, the leave Carlton Davis in some of those positions that they left him in, I don't care who it is. There's just no way he can win that. There has to be – The X's and the O's. Yeah, yeah the, the X's. Oh, we got him covered. He's it looked good. good He's on good. the board. Yeah, it looked good on the board. It's 24. <laughs> you got 10. Okay, we're sure up there. Let's move on. But, but there has to be something else. And, you know, the teams that always dabble in man-to-man and things like that, okay, you can leave a guy man-to-man. But as we've seen, like, with the New England Patriots and their attack against Mahomes and the Chiefs, you know, okay, it's single safety, it's man-to-man, but the single safety is always aware that, oh, wait, I got Tyree Kill man-to-man here. Let me help that corner out by body presence or being closer to him to just scare away Mahomes from that matchup. And just there was none of that. It was like, hey, Carlton Davis, you're a good football player. We think you're Darrell Revis in his prime, apparently. Go out there and cover him all over the field, and that's just not possible with that human being because – how many rockets does Tyreek Hill have up his butt? Well, if three is the maximum, yes. I'd say three and a half. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. He might have three with a little <laughs> turbo boost in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. The, the Buccaneers offense ultimately did wake it up. And one thing that's encouraging, I saw Mike Evans catching a couple of touchdown passes when the game seemed to be out of reach. 27-10. Last two scores of the game. 31-yarder from Brady. Seven-yarder from Brady. And you know they, they you know, what if if you're trying as a bucks fan or just an eternal optimist if you're trying to come out of this game glass half full offensively what what's 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 the case you make to the bucks as to why they should feel good going into their bye well you know you're you're sitting down there 27-10 and you're going oh man it looks like we're done we're in trouble this one's over and all of a sudden they kind of get in a rhythm with the touchdown, you know, at the end of the first half, 
field goal to start the second half. You know, we talked about the two interceptions, you're moving the ball. But then late in the game, I mean, right down the field, right down the field on two touchdown drives where you're going, hey, if Mahomes and company don't get the ball, if they don't get first downs here, the, the Chiefs have shown no signs of slowing down the Bucks here the last few drives. They're going to go down the field and at least kick a field goal, if not score a touchdown. So, again, with the Bucks, you know, they're a little bit frustrating too. We see these glimmers of going, wow, okay, this is the team I like. This is what we this, – this, this is awesome to watch. There's just so many peaks and valleys right now. And I go back to the same thing. I, again – I got to watch the game back on film. We're getting ready for a show. We're watching that and all these other games. But I just thought, once again, when they get out of their shotgun spread it out mode, and that's what I felt like I saw a little more in the second half, is again, the tight ends, the Ronald Jones, just a little running game. Oh, Gronkowski on deep crosses, play action pass, things like that. That, to me, is when they're really effective and they can play with anybody. But I just don't know. Is it Brady or Bruce Aarons who wants to get in the shotgun spread and throw the ball all over the field and play this four- and five-yard dink-and-dunk thing, and they're not built like that? And honestly, Brady's not good enough to where he's just going to carry the team like that against all teams every week, every week, every week. And uh, that would be the silver lining to me with the Bucks. is that look at that offense in the second half. They do have to figure out what they are and who they are That's and it. what they plan to be right. offensively. And last week, I, I'm sorry, I love Bruce Arians, and, and he's deserved all the accolades he's gotten. He should have been a head coach a lot earlier in his career. One of the reasons he wasn't yeah, is he doesn't play the game. He doesn't kiss butt. And look, I respect that. He's always true to himself. He's always authentic. But this Brady thing has really exposed some flaws in how to handle a superstar. And he's had superstars in the past. And like last week, we we get we get the 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 criticism, the open criticism of Brady. We get the passive aggressive stuff. You got Byron Leftwich jumping on with the Thanksgiving Day press conference saying, "Our offense is the quarterback, and the quarterback is the offense. It's all him. Everyone's saying it's him, it's him, it's him, it's Tom. It's what he wants. It's what he likes. But we're not seeing what he likes. We're seeing him doing something that belongs to someone else's offense. And then Brady gets a chance to meet with reporters." And this came on Friday, and now nobody really put on the T, the opportunity for him to respond right. to what's you know seems to be fairly constant criticism from Arians. But Brady shoulders the responsibility. He doesn't try to push the blame to someone else. Now it may have reached a little bit of a critical mass from the standpoint of trying, you know, to to draw Brady out yesterday. Here's the question and the answer that ultimately caused his press conference after the game to be two minutes and 21 seconds long. We'll let you hear it and we'll react to it on the other side. There's been some folks that have had some chatter about, you know, you you still look like you're running someone else's offense. One of your former teammates even said on TV that he thinks that you need a new head coach. What do you make of all that noise? No, it's just the external noise that when you're losing, you know, that's what you deal with. So, uh, you know, I love p- playing for, for the guys that I play with, the coaches, the whole organization's been unbelievable. And I think what, uh, you know, we just got to go out and I certainly have to do a better job the last four weeks of the year. So appreciate it. Just have a good week. There were other reporters queued up and ready to go, and they weren't happy that Tommy walked away when he did. And look, yes, there's always going to be external noise if you're losing. But he had 20 years in New England when his coach – did not add to the external noise with internal fodder for the external noise to get louder and louder. When Brady had a particularly bad game in 2014 against the Kansas City Chiefs, he seemed Chiefs, different quarterback, but even worse result, embarrassment on Monday Night Football, the head coach defended Tom Brady. Scott asked the, idea the question of being evaluated. Uh, uh, is, right? it, is, and is it possible that Jimmy Garoppolo could take and and it was the Belichick scowl and it was the on to Cincinnati mantra over and over again. He had a coach for 20 years who would defend him to the death against any and all critics on the outside. That's right. He doesn't have that now. Yeah. He doesn't have that now. And I, I think he he knew or should have known what he was signing up for when he went to Tampa Bay, but you know, the walk-off there after two minutes and 21 seconds. Yes, he's frustrated with himself, 
But I think he also doesn't want to go down that path. I think he's trying to wall himself off from even acknowledging yeah. that he has a coach who is willing to publicly do something that his 20-year head coach never did. No, I, I, I think there is probably some of that. I, you know, I think more than anything, like Brady's handling himself, you know, like a pro. There, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, he always says the right things, all of that. You know, I'll go back to kind of what you said here to start this little start, uh, this conversation before we went to Brady. You talked about, you know, Arians being with Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger, and he's been with other superstar quarterbacks. This, this is different. I'm sorry. I mean, as much as awesome as I think Peyton Manning is and all those things, man, this is Tom Brady and just the normal common fan who's just paying to the paying attention to the NFL to the corner of their eye. Oh, oh, these teams play each other this week. Oh, cool. All right. I'll sit down on Sunday and watch the games. Right. That just that that kind of fan. They just see Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Bucks. They're supposed to be in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. It's Tom Brady. All I've known from football the last 20 years as a casual fan is Tom Brady, New England Patriots, they'll be in the final four. Brady is one of those commons. And I think that's, it, it's mounting on them down there. And yeah, I don't think they expected to be seven and five with this good of a football team, the defense, everything we've talked about. So they're feeling it. And I'm sure Brady is sick of this crap a little bit. There's no doubt. Um, but they all signed up for it and they can cry me a river some other place and they got to figure it out here in the last four weeks of the year. But, but the other question is, and you're starting to hear the same things I've been hearing, will he sign up for it again? And the powers that be, the people who write the checks in Tampa Bay, the Glazer family, very interested in making sure that no matter what else happens as a result of this season, Tommy chooses to come back next year. Right. People aren't going to buy tickets when they can buy tickets again to come see Bruce Arians coach. They're going to buy tickets, and they're going to be excited because Tom Brady is the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that is maybe now that they're going to slow down for a few days and you get out of that week-in and week-out grind, got a game to get ready for. You know, if the Glazers want to, hey, coach, we need to talk to you. Oh, sorry, I got a game to get ready for. Well, let's talk during the bye week. Well, yeah. the bye week's here. And and uh, it, it could be that we hear, and, and this is informed speculation, I think is the best way to say it. It could be we hear a kinder, gentler Bruce Arians coming out of this bye week because my guess is at some point over the next week, someone named Glazer is going to make it very clear to him that in this rock, paper, scissors, yeah. did I get it right that time? Yeah, you did. Rock, paper, scissors contest, um, Brady is the rock and Arians is the scissors if it comes down to it. No doubt. I mean, it, it, this is Tom Brady, two-year contract, Year one, pandemic, didn't get to capitalize of all the things Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. I would think, and that's, I think, where we both have heard, it's, hey, we got to make sure Tom's really happy here in year one to make sure we get year two and we could capitalize on everything in our $50 million investment and all those type of things. I definitely think that's a real aspect of this. And I think, too, hey, listen to what Bruce Arians said to start of the segment I don't care who you are, all-star team or not, whatever. You need to practice. You need the offseason. That did hurt them. And maybe these, but this bye week will help them kind of go back and, and formulate an offense that they feel fits both of them because that's, to me, the biggest thing. You know, you talked, you said the word identity. I don't know really what their identity is. It's, oh, hey, this series, two tight ends, they run the ball. Next series, it's shotgun, 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 shotgun. We're going to throw the ball every play. And you're just like, man, wait, what happened to the good offense we saw last series? And uh, it's a little all over the place. And to me, that's where they need to get on the same page and figure out how they want to attack on that side of the ball. It was former teammate Rob Nikovich last week in an appearance on ESPN who suggested that Brady needs a different head coach. And I just I don't think what's happening this year is sustainable into 2021. And if it continues, it very well could be that Brady has a new head coach next year. And that head coach will probably some be someone that he signs off on or flat out has requests. to be. If they want to make this if they want to make this work, that's the way to make it work. If has Brady's the center of the universe, right. he has to say, here's who I want my coach to be. Yeah, that, that's where I think no offseason and everything hurt because to, to like exactly, you know, Brady's the king. He's 43. He is limited in certain things he can do. 
You know, they you got to do things, and this is where New England was great for him. New England, you know, even though the players weren't great, they still had a system that could really utilize and capitalize on all that Brady had to offer here at the late point of his career. His ability, oh, I'm in the spread. Okay, blah, 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 this coverage. I know where to go. Oh, and McDaniels and Belichick have given me lots of answers here to get six and seven yard completions, wherever that may be on the field. The Bucks are not built like that. And that's where no offseason really hurt. First off, the receivers aren't built to be the Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, Danny Amendola, jitterbug types. Mike Evans is, he's a big man. Chris Godwin's a bigger man. You know, they don't have that as much. And then the offense and Bruce Arians and them, they're not like that. So that's where, you know, I think you might have to see Tampa bend a little bit as far as the coaching staff to adhere to what Brady wants to do because, that is what he does best at this point of his career, and that does set him up, I think, for his best chance of success. From a game that featured the current GOAT and the future GOAT at quarterback to a game that literally had GOATs playing quarterback, all due <laughs> respect to the quarterbacks involved. What's the saying? If you have two quarterbacks, you have you none. Have none. I, got a ch- I got a twist. If you have no quarterbacks, you have none. Right. <laughs> That's what the Broncos had because of the COVID-19 protocols. Very simple situation. Jeff Driscoll tested positive last week and is part of the contact tracing, is part of the analysis. And this is actually something that the Broncos self-reported. They saw surveillance video from the quarterback room. They saw that the quarterbacks were gathered there. It was an approved meeting. Now, some are mobilizing to blame the Broncos for everything and say it was an unsanctioned meeting. I'm told it was an approved meeting. It's in writing. It was approved. But... At some point during that meeting, an issue with the masks. Right. Broncos saw it on the video. They sent it to the league. Some 30 hours later, the Broncos found out you don't get to have any of your quarterbacks tomorrow. They found out just before practice on Saturday. Uh, they're doing a walkthrough. They're finalizing everything. Oh, sorry. Your, your other three quarterbacks not named Draft Driscoll, you know, your starter, Drew Locke, and his backups, they're, they're out. They're gone. You got to find somebody else to play quarterback tomorrow, and we're not bending. And at that point, I, I'm surprised the line only went to 15. I'm so I'm shocked that it wasn't 20 or 25 when you have Kendall Hinton, a practice squad receiver who got beat out for the quarterback job at Wake Forest. Once we knew he was playing with one day to prepare for it, going against one of the best defenses in the NFL, of course they're going to get blown off the field, and they did. They did. I mean, th- that was insane to watch first off. I mean, it really was. Uh, yeah. You, you, Denver fought hard. Their defense kind of kept them in there for the first quarter or whatever, but there's only so much they can do. I mean, when you're back on the field every fourth play, eventually you're going to wear down as a lesser football team. But, I mean, this is the the great example, Mike, and this is why, like, we, we've, we've talked about it so much. This is, hey, players – you got to compete with yourself this year, even when you're out of the facility all the time or in the facility, whatever it is. You just got to be on the ball all the time to make sure you're available to play football. And yeah, the quarterbacks in Denver got careless, you know, and they, they're the ones that gave this team the loss. I'm not saying they would have won if Drew Locke was out there or whatever, but they gave them the loss by being careless inside the meeting rooms, breaking protocols. It stinks. I understand everybody gets relaxed every now and then. But this is the way the world is right now, and you get a big L for that. A couple of points real quickly. Can we put the graphic back up? Kendall Hinton, first quarterback with more interceptions than completion since 1998. It was the first game since Tim Tebow's Broncos of 2011 where the quarterback had no completions at all in the first half. And it reminds me of the Nathan Peterman stat line from a few years ago when he was playing for the Bills against the Chargers. Yeah. When, 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 when you took his numbers and you ran them through the passer rating calculator as if he was intending to throw the ball to Chargers players, he had a higher passer rating <laughs> than he did while intending to throw the ball to Bills players. That's how bad it was that day for Peterman. But at least Peterman knew he was going to play quarterback that day and had been drafted to be a quarterback Hinton undrafted 
as a receiver, gets thrust into it. I felt badly for him. For a while, it looked like it was going to be Royce Freeman. Phillip Lindsay took several snaps at quarterback until he got injured, and it was a mess. Here's Vic Fangio, to your point, though, talking about his own disappointment in the behavior of his quarterbacks that resulted in them abruptly being told, thou shalt not play on Sunday. Well, I was disappointed um, on a couple levels in that that our quarterbacks put us in this position, that it put, our quarterbacks put the league in that position. You know, there's, there, we count on them to be the leaders of the team and, you know, leaders of the offense. And uh, those guys made a mistake, and that, that is disappointing. There's tension between the league and the teams as it relates to the league's plans for dealing with the pandemic right. and the team's execution of the plan. And I've noticed a trend this year, and I know there are some coaches around the league who aren't happy about this. Anytime there's an issue, the league aggressively blames the team, blames the players, and piles on. And I think the Broncos, even though Fangio was a company man, not Broncos company, but NFL incorporated company man saying what he said. I know there's some frustration about how the league jumped on them and blamed them and ultimately refused to give them a day or two to get their quarterbacks back and postpone the game. But look, the NFL made it clear, Chris, in October to all the teams, competitive concerns do not matter. Yeah. You are going to be expected to play if you have no quarterbacks, if you have no linemen, if you have no kickers, if you have no anything, if you have no coaches, whatever it may be, you better figure it out and you better be ready to go because it's on you if you have guys on the COVID-19 reserve list and and you you believe that you can't field a competitive team. We don't care if it's not competitive. You just have to field a team because we've got 256 boxes to check this year and we're putting a check mark in that damn box for this game. I know. Unless there's an uncontained outbreak. That's the difference because people still can't understand because the league really hasn't come out and said it. The Baltimore game got postponed twice and could be postponed still a third time because of an outbreak that has not been fully contained. If it's just this guy's positive and this guy's a close contact, so he's automatically out, and this guy's a positive but, and these guys are – but then, then we're, we're still going forward with the game. Yeah, I I, and I, I know and I get that, but th this is where I get frustrated as an ex-football player. This is where it really pisses me off, for lack of a better way to say it. All players, players, coaches, do right, do right. You did wrong, you did wrong. Oh, wait – there's kind of a start of an outbreak in Baltimore. Well, it's a big Thursday night game. Hold on. You guys can go in the facility one more day. It's okay. One more day. Oh, it's okay for days. you. Oh, it was okay for you guys to bend the rules and fudge them. Oh, okay. Oh, but then you're going to throw out and be the, like the hammer when a player or a coach has a mask down a little bit. That to me is where I go, blah, blah, blah. Shut the hell up, NFL. Well, well, but, <laughs> uh, but but look, that that's one of the reasons why the outbreak happened. They yeah. had every reason to know as of Sunday night that that you know they they had, they had done the tracing. I think they knew by Sunday night that they had the well, the strength coach had already tested positive. And I think anytime you have a strength and conditioning coach who tests positive, that is red alert, sound the alarm. Yes, because code that red. guy interacts with everybody right. and then and so they knew it was coming and 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 that's that's what was stunning to me that that's they were weird. allowed yes. to practice and right. be in the facility Monday and Tuesday because they they wanted to get that Thursday night game in and it was only on Tuesday when they got more indications of additional positives they said we, we just we we can't do this and fr frankly Chris and we'll talk more about the Raven situation coming up I still am not sure this game's going forward. I'm starting to get the sense that there are two camps in the league office. There is the damn the torpedoes camp, and there is the science over football camp, safety over checking the box camp. And I don't know who's going to win, but that's still wow. churning. And the evidence is still rolling in every day with more positives or not. And uh, so, so I, I, I'm still not 100% sure the game's going to happen. I, I think that they're, they're starting to be some wavering, I believe, on the part of the medical people. The question is, can they get others who have final say over whether or not the game will be played to waver as well and push this to what would be 
the first game of the 18th week of the season, which Jeez. the NFL is trying desperately to avoid. You know, we haven't been together since Wednesday. A lot's happened since then. But the NFL is trying to desperately avoid putting any game at week 18 because then for the remainder of the season, for the Ravens and the Steelers, you have no wiggle room for them or for the teams they may be playing. Right. You can't put another game involving either team in week 18. So that automatically becomes the first game that is gone for good. Yeah. Yeah, that's scary and you're right. You don't you don't really think about the ripple effect sometimes of that and you're trying to not you know go to the danger zone of yeah, okay, we go oh, just just one game week 18. Well, what happens if the Ravens play a team in a few weeks who has an outbreak? Now they have to make two games up or whatever. Uh scary and you know, I I'll still say this. I I feel bad for the Steelers. There you are 10 and 0. Here's another Hey, screw you. We're going to change the schedule. I know you guys have done everything right, and I know they'll be ready to play and have no excuses, but uh, it's just it's unbelievable what they've had to go through this year with first the Tennessee Titans and now this, and that they're still 10-0 and, and, and doing well. That says a lot to Mike Tomlin and his leadership. Well, and if they get on the field tomorrow night, it's going to be 11-0. and I would be stunned, stunned. Of course, I've been stunned several times already this year, but I would be beyond stunned if the Ravens find a way to win that game after everything they've been through and with so many players not available from Lamar Jackson to Mark Andrews to Willie Sneed to Matthew Judon to this guy to that guy to that guy. All right, let's take a break. When we return, in the two weeks since the Hail Murray, the refrain for the Cardinals has been Hell Murray. Kyler getting frustrated. Cardinals reeling. We'll talk about what happened to them in New England when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It was a challenge the whole game, but, you know, we played them a little better as the as the game went on. Um, you know, Steve made a couple of good calls that, that you know, put us in the right Great defense against a couple of those as well, so uh, that was that was good too. The games that we've lost, we've just kind of found a way to uh, shoot ourselves in the foot. Um, you know, in, in a lot of games that we feel like we should have won, or uh, we, like I said, we we come out and we um, you know shoot ourselves in the foot, and it's, it's it's not a good feeling to keep doing that over and over again. Strange game yesterday in Foxborough, the Arizona Cardinals and New England Patriots. Two star quarterbacks, not star performances from either one. It was ugly. It was back and forth. Cardinals had a double-digit lead, and they blew it. There have been 35 games so far this season, the most through 12 weeks in any season of the National Football League, where teams have erased double-digit deficits and come back to win the game. No The Patriots, noise. one of two yesterday. That has something that's – well, that's right now. The Patriots were at home. But, uh, you know, on the road, it makes it easier to come from behind when you don't have the crowd noise to put the hammer down and pin the ears back for defensive linemen and get after quarterbacks. Yeah, even Both at home, defenses, Mike, you know, you feel the pressure and tension in the building, even if you, boo. Are, you, you know, don't get booed. Right. You don't get booed. Right. Or, you know, oh, it's, you know, the second and third down on a must-have drive, and you hear the boos and the murmurs already, and now it's third and fourth down, and the whole team feels, you know, that pressure. That's a real thing, too. So I, I think that yeah. is – part of, of why we're seeing so many of these comebacks. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's a good point. I mean, it's once every few weeks there's one of those awkward moments where a supposedly good team has to go to the locker room and you hear that 
that Whoa, is that the noise is yeah. kind of like that's kind of yeah. like a dying walrus I have a feeling we're going to hear that one again at some point. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> Kyler Murray, after after getting himself onto the short list of MVP candidates following the Hale Murray, two rough games since then. The Seahawks bottled him up from a running standpoint last Thursday night. The Cardinals were bottled up again by the Patriots on Sunday. Now, Murray's got that shoulder injury that they tried to be very coy about. Yeah. He was limited in practice much of the week. I don't know how much that affected him. You know, it's the Patriots, right? And the Patriots will uh, come up with ways from time to time to shut you down. They will take away what you do best. They tried to do it last week with, with Deshaun Watson and the Texans, and they couldn't. This week with Kyler Murray, they could. They took away what the Cardinals do best, which is get the ball to DeAndre Hopkins and let Kyler Murray wreak havoc with his legs. Yeah, well, you know, as we always talk about, it's a matchup game. The Arizona offense, I think, matched up a little bit better with New England as far as as far as on New England's side of it, being able to cover and do certain things to stop some of their schemes down the field and all that. But, hey, this is the third game in a row. We've seen not necessarily a great offensive passing attack from the Cardinals. Yeah, I know the Hale-Murray play, right? You know, the Hale-Murray play, we, we got to remember, if he doesn't complete the Hale-Murray, he's thrown for 198, 201 yards in that game. Of course, the Seattle game the next week, solid, but not great. Not what we've come to expect out of Kyler Murray and the Cardinals offense. And then yesterday, so, you know, it's something that I know I brought up to you. I do feel like defensive coordinators have caught on to have some of their schemes and pass patterns down the field. And then the next thing is, okay, can we figure out a plan to stop Kyler Murray from running around and making us look silly? And New England had that. And then, I mean, it just seemed like every big moment, right, Mike? New England made the play and the Cardinals didn't. I mean, specifically that little stretch we saw at the end of the first half where the Cardinals have a chance to go up 17-7 to and you're going, man, the way the Patriots offense looks today, they go down by 10 points, this could be over. And they make the goal line stand there. Like you said, New England's unbelievable. They play complimentary football, and all three phases every week show up. And yesterday, you look at special teams. They had a huge kick return and a huge punt return that helped them score, and that was a big part of the football game, and that's where Bill Belichick is just amazing to me. And that's why the Terminator is not dead. Never dead. Until the Terminator is dead. This dynamic with the Cardinals – that has unfolded since the Hale Murray. Yeah. You know, there other teams struggle with this, and I think the Vikings in particular. Kyle Rudolph explained this to me a few weeks ago. When you have a big loss or a big win that happens at the very end, that's either a punch in the gut or an unexpected exultation, you still have to keep playing games. Yeah, right. And sometimes you get so caught up in that moment that it throws you off, especially you know either when it's bad and one loss becomes two, as you like to say, or when it's really good, and and you 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 can't yeah. get back into your grind. You feel like, hey, you know, we're pretty good. It's like, yeah, you still got games to play, guys, and now you've lost two in a row since then. So I know there's other factors that go into it, but I can't help but wonder. Whether that was, you know, like this postseason excitement moment for the Cardinals, while they still had a lot of games to play, and they they really have lost their way since then. They definitely have. Uh, I mean, it, it is not. It wasn't good football against the Seattle Seahawks on Thursday night, and you know had a week off, you know, a long week to prepare for the Patriots, and didn't look special yesterday. Certainly, I mean, had chances to win the football game. I mean, we know that. Missed a field goal at the end that could have put them up 20-17, to 17, made things different. But we haven't seen that magic to what you're talking about. We don't see the magical connection that we saw Hopkins and Kyler Murray early in the year. That kind of seems to be few and far between at certain parts of the football game. And then what I really think is just teams have figured out, like I've said, the Cliff Kingsbury plan of attack a little bit with the passing game and how they want to attack Kyler Murray too. And we saw that. I know we broke it down last night, but with Kyler Murray, hey, the Patriots so many times, you know, looked like they show blitz. They got two spies, you know, in the middle of the field for Kyler Murray. If they want to throw the ball short and over the middle, which they might do a lot or just get the hands out quick with a quick passing game, 
They had people all over the passing lanes. I mean, we showed Chase Vinovich. The whole defense is jumping up. They were Their whole job was, wait, this guy's small and fast. Let's not over-pursue. We'll kind of just mush rush and keep him in front of us. Get our hands up. That takes away his ability to throw a lot of footballs because, again, he is small and he's not perfect. That hurts his game. And then within that, because they're just looking to time the jump, they're in a position to, oh, wait, he's scrambling? All right, I'm in a good spot to go out and contain him there or go there. And that was where it was really brilliant by by Bill Belichick and Stephen Belichick and what the Patriots did. And with the Cardinals losing two in a row, with the Rams losing yesterday to the 49ers, Uh next week's game between Arizona and L.A. becomes gigantic, especially because your San Francisco 49ers nipping at the heels of the Arizona Cardinals. fighting one game that separates them now. The Cardinals have the initial leg up in the tiebreaker, but they play again week 16, Cardinals and the 49ers in Arizona, which may soon become the de facto home stadium for the 49ers. What a crazy situation, though. But we saw this coming all year with the pandemic. The 49ers by order in Santa Clara County. They're going to talk to the folks in Santa Clara to say, hey, can we get an exception? Can we get an exemption? Can we get a dispensation? Can we get something? Man. Santa Clara says, no, they're going to have to find a place to play. It looks like it's going to be Arizona. But the 49ers are figuring it out. That was, I think, I don't know if that was their biggest win of the year because they already beat the Rams once. They've swept the Rams. We have been all over the Rams this year. The Rams are 7-4. and four. They're 0-2 against the 49ers. We cannot count out the 49ers. And, and with the Cardinals fading and with the Bucks fading, maybe two of these teams in that in-the-hunt column are going to find a way to crash the party, Chris. Well, I mean, yeah, the way I mean, I mean, we know San Francisco's getting healthy. We saw, you know, Debo Samuel, Richard Sherman, some of those guys yesterday, and you go, whoa, here they go. The quarterback play, you know, for the first time in a while, was pretty damn solid. And hey, I mean, the Shanahan McVay matchup. There's a lot of knowledge there. There really is about what they do. And Shanahan and Robert Sala have done a great job of really taking away McVay's offense in the two meetings we saw them this year. They got it down into the game that we always talk about. Oh, wait, the run games and the boots aren't there. Is Jared Goff in the drop back pass game going to beat you? I think not. More times than not, I'm going to take that approach. And the 49ers have really figured out McVay's offense that way. And uh, it's where Kyle Shanahan's amazing. You know, say what you want, whatever. You know, the state of this team and all the injuries, and it's been, well, we've talked about it, millions and millions and millions of dollars on IR. And the fact that they're sitting here at five and six and got a chance, um, I, I think that says a lot about the coaching staff and especially Kyle. Jared Goff and Carson Wentz for the top two picks in the 2016 draft. Wentz has been not good this year, and I can't help but wonder where Jared Goff would be without Sean McVay. And I still wonder whether or not they regret giving Goff the contract he did. Every time we think that he's earning it, like last Monday night against the Bucks, then there's a game where it's like, oh, man, there's a lot of guys out there that could do this and maybe do it a lot better than Jared Goff. All due respect, but that NFC, look, you've got the Packers, you've got the Saints, and beyond that, I really don't know what you've got. Maybe Seattle, they get a chance tonight to cross the country and play the Eagles, but there's there's a lot of grind at the bottom. There's a lot of chances, and remember, there's still a possibility, Chris, of eight teams per conference getting in. Right. That makes it even more of a meat grinder in the NFC because you're going to have an eight seed potentially going to play the one seed. And I think from a talent standpoint, the difference between eight and one is not going to be all that great. So, no. Uh, no. Well, hang on. Just think about it this time. way. We talk about the, the NFC East and all that stuff, right? The Giants went to play the Rams earlier this year, and it was a one-score game, and it was there to be had. So, to what you're saying, it's a matchup league, and you could be better as a bunch of teams as a whole, but when it comes to playing that particular team, you could be in big trouble and don't match up as well, and I think we're seeing that a lot this year. All right, a couple of weeks ago, the matchup between the Colts and the Titans went well for Indianapolis. This time around, the Titans get the edge because they unleashed the dump truck. We'll talk about Titans-Colts when PFT Live continues right after Playing complimentary football, playing better, coaching better. Um, 
you know, when you can run the ball for, for what we did and, and hold them to, to what we did, that, that's the difference in the football game. It's always fun, you know, whenever you're able to, you know, start fast and in the game with a W. So, like I said, I always give my my guys credit. The guys in front of me blocking. I just got to go do my job. Did a great job today. All the credit goes to them. It was about a week and a half ago that we had quotes that we played from Titans quarterback Ryan Tannehill where he was talking about the reduction in touches in recent weeks for running back Derrick Henry and that it was done deliberately. And it just struck me as odd because that seems to be something that a coach would say, not the quarterback. You'd hear that from Mike Vrabel or from offensive coordinator Arthur Smith. And I talked to Tannehill after the game yesterday, and I reminded him of what he said. And I said, what changed the last two weeks? Why is it 28 carries for Henry one week, 27 the next? And he said, well, you'd have to ask the coaches. <laughs> I want to say. He coached up. But, but you said so a week and a half ago. You should know the answers to these questions. But, you know, he, he later acknowledged if they're going to get to where they want to be, they've got to ride Derrick Henry period. When they got away from it, what happened, Chris? They started losing. Now that they're back on the Henry bus, they're winning. Yeah, it's like they decided for a few weeks, like, hey, we're going to use them more as a decoy. We think our best way this week is to play action and do things off of them, whatever. But no, it's not. He's special. Um, and it's, I mean, I, I think it's official. He's in the MVP race. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Mahomes, Rodgers, Derrick Henry, those are the three guys right now, as, as far as I'm concerned and with how they're playing. But that was an unbelievable performance. And I know the Colts, you know, are missing DeForest Buckner and, and had some, some issues there as far as COVID-19. But that's still, we were going into yesterday with the Colts as the number two defense in football. To just bludgeon them that way, you know, and play the way they did all the big plays that then came off the pass game. Really impressive. The Titans seem like they've kind of got their mojo together here and might be maybe ready to make a little bit of a run here down the stretch, Mike. And I asked Tannehill about playing a team so soon after playing them the first time. And with the Colts, he said they don't do a lot of exotic things. It's just physicality. Yeah. We know what they're going to do. They know what we're going to do. And this time around, you know, they didn't have the special teams miscues that gave the Colts 14 easy points. They, they, they stepped on the throat early, and that was that. And the Titans reasserting themselves yeah. as a team to be reckoned with, not just in the division, but in the entire conference. One of the teams that maybe could knock off the Steelers or the Chiefs in the postseason. Full hour, PFT Live, still to come. Superlatives next. We'll be right back. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 